Hi, I'm Kyle Carlson, and you're listening to one of my messages from Imprint Community Church in Northeast Baltimore. I pray that this message will encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Visit us online at imprintcommunity.org and worship with us in person on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Seven Oaks Elementary School. Enjoy the message. There is a dark period in Israel's history in the Old Testament just after the Exodus, right, where God had delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And he's led them to the foot of this mountain, Mount Sinai. And the people are waiting at the bottom of the mountain, and Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God. And while Moses is up there, God gives them kind of an overview of the law. Those are called the Ten Commandments. You've probably heard of that before. So Moses is up the mountain meeting with God, receiving these Ten Commandments. Meanwhile, the people of Israel are growing restless and impatient down at the base of the mountain, and they decide that they need to fashion for themselves a God to worship. And so they form, they they contribute all their jewelry and gold earrings and stuff, and they fashion a golden calf. And they say, here is your God who led you out of Egypt, and they begin to worship this golden calf. Well, when Moses comes down from the mountain and he finds that the people have formed an idol and been worshiping this golden calf, he's angry and he breaks the the tablets on the ground. But Moses' anger is a tiny little flicker compared to the anger of God, who has delivered his people from slavery and is in the process of delivering to them his word for them when they turn their back on him and begin worshiping a golden calf. And so there's this dark period of time where God tells the people, I am leaving you. He says to Moses, you can go to the land that I promised you. I will send an angel with you, but I'm not coming. I am too mad. He says, lest I consume the people, I am not going with you. And Moses pleads with God. He intercedes for the people. And there's this period where the people are watching and waiting because they know that they've goofed up. And they're watching Moses going to this tent of meeting to, to speak with God. And Moses pleads with God in Exodus thirty three fifteen. He says, if your presence will not go with me, Do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So Moses says to God, if you're not going to go, there's no point. Why go to some promised land if you're not going to be there? Because you are the only thing that makes us a people. You're the only thing that makes us distinct in any way from the world or that we know that we have your favor, your grace, your kindness upon us is because you're with us. So if you're not going to go, then I don't want to go either. And I think that this is probably how the disciples must be feeling at this point in John chapter 16, where we'll be today in our journey through John's gospel. This the awareness that God is not going with them that the Israelites had, and Moses, the sense of just total helplessness and hopelessness. If you're not going, what is even the point? 
And so Jesus has just told his disciples in the chapters leading up to this, in this conversation, the night of his arrest and betrayal, the night before his crucifixion, he's told them that he's about to leave because he's going back to the Father, right? He's going to be crucified, he will rise from the dead, and then he's going to go back to heaven. And so the disciples have just learned that Jesus is not going to be with them anymore. And to make matters worse, he just told them it's going to get really hard, The last half of chapter 15 that we looked at last week, Jesus promises them, if you are going to faithfully follow me, you will be hated. You will be persecuted. You will suffer because of your faith in me. Because the world has hated me and rejected me, and it's going to treat you the same way. So the disciples have essentially gotten this message from Jesus. I'm leaving. It's going to be really hard. And even your trusty leader, Peter, is going to deny me. So the things that you're counting on aren't even going to be, aren't even going to hold up. So there must be this sense of, if you're not going with us, what are we going to do? Right? What, what is going to happen? How will we possibly hold up underneath the pressures that we are going to face? And so in that context... In their understandable distress, Jesus offers some words of encouragement and comfort in John 16, verses 4 through 15. He comforts his disciples specifically with the promise of the Holy Spirit. If you have a copy of the Bible, I invite you to turn to John 16 and read along with me. Just follow along as I read John 16. Verse 4, kind of the second half of verse 4, down through verse 15. Jesus says these words. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus meets his disciples in this moment of panic, of distress, of sadness. He observes that in verse 6. Sorrow has filled your heart. And he comforts them with the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
the main thing, the main idea that he communicates here in these verses is that the Holy Spirit will continue the ministry of Jesus Christ through his followers in the world. That is the church. Through the disciples of Jesus, through the church of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus. And so he tells them that the Spirit is going to come and he will carry on through them the work of his ministry. So these are the verses we're going to examine a bit today. And on the front end, it'd be good to note that this is not an exhaustive theological treatise, if you will, on the Holy Spirit. Uh, There is more that can be said about him and his ministry, more wonderful truths that the Bible reveals to us about the Holy Spirit. Uh, But the scope of our exploration today is these 12 verses. Right? And Jesus has a specific purpose for what he tells his disciples in this moment. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going away and you've been filled with sorrow. So that's the context for what he says. So the specific things about the Holy Spirit that he says to them are to answer this need of aloneness, this need of fear. Now I'm supposed to carry on the work of Jesus in the world, but he's not here. What am I going to do? And the world is going to hate me. So it's not like Jesus is going, oh, by the way, I had all this stuff to tell you about the Holy Spirit, and I guess this is as good a time as any. No, this is the perfect time to tell you these specific truths about the Holy Spirit because of where you are in your need. And so Jesus tells us specifically three things concerning the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his followers, and we'll simply take them in turn. Number one, the Holy Spirit lives inside believers. The Holy Spirit lives inside believers. This is a fundamentally new relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you're looking through the Bible, you're seeing how the story unfolds, how God's relationship with his people unfolds. This is new. The Holy Spirit has, has shown up. He's been referenced. We've seen him at work in various ways. Even in the Old Testament, you see that the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody or the Holy Spirit is with somebody or empowers somebody for a particular task or ministry or whatever. But the Holy Spirit is never said to indwell somebody, to live inside them until now. This is a fundamental change in the relationship that God's people will have with the Holy Spirit. If you look back a little bit at the, toward the end of chapter 14, chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus told them again that the Spirit would come, the Helper would come, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. Then He says these words in verse 17, You know Him. For he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So he even points to the change. Right now, the Spirit is with you. But soon, and I think Jesus would add, as we are in chapter 16, after I leave, he will be in you. The Spirit of God will indwell you. He will live inside you. This is a fundamentally new relationship with the Holy Spirit that his people will enjoy. So he says, the helper will come to you. 
right? In verse 7, uh, back, excuse me, back in chapter 16, in verse 7, he says, If I go, the helper will come to you. I will send him to you. And I think he means by that what he said in chapter 14, verse 17. He will come to you in the sense that he will take up residence in you. So he tells his disciples, yes, I am leaving, but it's actually to your advantage that I leave because at that time, the Holy Spirit will come and live in you. That is mind-boggling. That is beyond categories that his disciples would have had at this point. In fact, they might be scratching their heads a little bit. I'm not even sure what that means. I mean, the Holy Spirit is going to live inside me. I didn't even get that. He will come to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we have uh, one of the, the great kind of biblical statements, New Testament statements on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He's speaking in this context of immorality. And so he says you should, you should recognize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is inside you, and so you ought to treat it carefully. You ought to not join yourself in immoral ways to people whom you ought not to join yourself with. Is that clear enough? And so the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You have him from God, and your body then has become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, the temple was the building where God's presence lived. Well, in the New Testament, under the new covenant that Jesus inaugurated with his blood and his resurrection, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. Just think about that for a minute. Consider this mystery. The Holy Spirit comes to take up permanent residence in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. When you trust in Jesus and you are transferred from death to life, from darkness to light, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. It's amazing. This is the only reason that Jesus can say, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because otherwise it makes no sense. What do you mean it's to my advantage? Think about these, these disciples sitting here, learning of the suffering and the persecution that's to come, learning that Jesus is leaving them. What do you mean it's to my advantage that you're going away? Well, it's to your advantage because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he will live inside you. Jesus, in a human body, was limited in terms of space. Jesus couldn't be in every place at all times. Jesus was in Jerusalem, or he was in Galilee, or he was in Judea, right? He couldn't be everywhere. But when the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in individual believers, the Holy Spirit is wherever Christians are. Wherever there are followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is there. Friends, let the constant presence of the Holy Spirit within you 
give you peace in struggle. Patience in hardship. Wisdom in confusion. Sober-mindedness in the fight against sin. Strength in temptation. Confidence in witness. The Spirit of God is in us at all times. That should give us pause. It should give us confidence and peace. So the first thing he says to them is, it's to your advantage that I go away because the Holy Spirit will come to live in you. And thus, for all followers of Jesus after this time, that truth applies. The Holy Spirit lives inside believers. Number two, the Holy Spirit convicts the world. The Holy Spirit convicts the world. Down in verse 8 through 11, he says, When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The word convict here has the sense of convince or persuade, not convict like indict and imprison, right? We use the word conviction in different ways. And I think conviction in this sense is to convince someone, right? To persuade someone of something. So when he says that the Spirit of God will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, I think he means that the Spirit of God, working through the witness of the Christian, will persuade sinners that they are indeed sinful and that they are in need of saving. And they will find righteousness represented by Jesus Christ and they will turn to him lest they face judgment from God. I think that's what he means here. The Holy Spirit will convict the world. And then he kind of lists these things out concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Look in verse 9. He says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So I think especially the sin of unbelief is what the Holy Spirit is working against. That's what the Gospel of John is all about. Jesus is presenting himself as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world. And time and time again, some believe and some reject. All right? At the very beginning of the Gospel, John painted it in these terms. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Yet to those who did receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's John 1, 10 and 11, I think. So the Holy Spirit is at work especially to persuade sinners of their unbelief and the error of their unbelief that they might turn to Jesus in faith and trust him. Then he says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So just as Jesus displayed perfect righteousness and called out self-righteousness and hypocrisy, as he did so often in his ministry, so the Spirit brings that contrast to sinful hearts. 
He is convincing, persuading sinners of their unbelief, of their hypocrisy and self-righteousness. And then finally, concerning judgment, he says, because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world is the devil. That's a title that's applied to Satan in several places throughout the scriptures. He's the one who's kind of in charge of the system of belief and philosophy and the emptiness of the world that leads people away from Jesus. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that the the ruler of this world is now at work among the sons of disobedience, that is, those who are not following the gospel. So you're being led by someone. You're being discipled by someone. You're either being discipled by Jesus or you're being discipled by the devil. It's kind of what he's saying there. And the ruler of this world is judged. His future is secure and it's bad. God has already defeated him through the cross of Jesus Christ. And there's a day coming where he's going to cast him into the abyss and he will, he will uh, punish and uh, persecute and harass God's people no more. The ruler of this world is judged. His end is sure. And so it's kind of like saying those who fall in step with this system, the system of the world, will share the fate of the devil. Will share the fate of the ruler of the world and they will be condemned eternally. So when he says that the Spirit is convicting the world of sin and righteousness of judgment, he's saying that the Spirit is working in sinners' hearts to convince them of the sin of their unbelief, of their self-righteousness and hypocrisy, and of the coming judgment that they will have to endure if they do not trust in Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the hearts of sinners through the witness of the disciples of Jesus, through the witness of Christians. The Spirit does this convicting work through the preaching of the gospel by the people of Jesus Christ, the church. That's us. If the world is to be convicted of their sin and turn in repentance to Jesus Christ, it will do so because we have faithfully opened our mouths with gospel truth. We've taken opportunity to speak of Jesus to people. In the book, Keep in Step with the Spirit by J.I. Packer, which is maybe the best book on the Holy Spirit that I've read. So if you're looking for more resources, want to study more about the Holy Spirit, J.I. Packer, Keep in Step with the Spirit is about as good as they come. He says this, The witnessing spirit would hereby act as humanity's prosecutor, working in heart after heart the verdict, I was wrong. I am guilty. I need forgiveness as he brings home the enormity of rejecting Jesus or at least not taking him seriously enough. This is a promise of the Spirit's aid in evangelism. His way of convincing and convicting is through Christian persuading as the church relays the apostolic message. His witness is a matter of his opening the inward ear and applying to the individual conscience the truths that witnessing Christians set before the mind. So as Christians speak the gospel, 
of a crucified Jesus and a risen Jesus who bore the sins of humanity and offers new life and forgiveness and eternity for everyone who will believe in him. As we preach that gospel, the Spirit of God is at work convicting the hearts of unbelievers. That's an amazing encouragement. It's an amazing confidence. Jesus tells the disciples essentially, don't panic. It's not up to you to save anybody. The saving is mine. The saving is the work of the Holy Spirit to penetrate dead, dark hearts with the truth of the gospel. All you've got to do is speak it. All you've got to do is say it. And the Holy Spirit is at work. A person's response is not our responsibility. I've got to remind myself that all the time. I am not responsible for how a person responds to the truth of the gospel or to an invitation to read the Bible or to uh, even a word of exhortation or challenge about how someone is living or not living out the truths of, uh, of God's word. Their response is not my responsibility. What I'm called to be is faithful. What I'm called to do is to enter in and to speak on behalf of Jesus, and then He does the work. I cannot speak articulately enough, persuade compellingly enough to convict someone of sin, righteousness, and judgment. This work belongs uniquely to the Holy Spirit. In his book, Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus, Max Stiles gives a definition of evangelism that I really like. It's very simple. His definition of evangelism is Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. And then of the word persuade, he says this. I find the word persuade helpful as it guards us from error. We persuade, but we do not manipulate. We persuade, but we are not the ones who bring about repentance or conversion. Of course, we long to see people converted because we understand that conversion is required for them to become Christians, but true conversion is the work of the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters, let us faithfully teach the gospel with the aim to persuade, and let us confidently rest in the Spirit's ability to convict. It's His work. So Jesus tells His fearful disciples, don't worry. The Spirit will be in you, and He will be convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. All you have to do is speak up. So the Holy Spirit lives inside believers. The Holy Spirit convicts the world. And then the third and final thing that He tells us about the Holy Spirit in these verses is that the Holy Spirit teaches the truth. The Holy Spirit teaches the truth. Go verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. I love that Jesus is aware of his audience. You guys can't handle this, right? I got more to say, but it would just go right over your head, in one ear, out the other, if I were to say it all to you now. So how is he going to handle that? He's leaving, right? I'm leaving, but I got more to say. What am I going to do? I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and He will guide you into all the truth. 
He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, when he says he will guide you into all the truth, I don't think he means all things that can be known, but all things pertaining to the glory of Jesus Christ. All that is necessary for life and salvation and for abiding in the vine, going back to his statements to the disciples in John 15. The Holy Spirit will bring you into an understanding of what it means to be saved, what it means to know Jesus and be connected to him as a branch connects to the vine, what it means to follow him in this world. Back at the end of chapter 15 in verse 26, in the midst of his sort of warning about persecution and suffering to come, he said this, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so he says of the Holy Spirit that he will, through your witness, he will bear witness about me. That is about Jesus. The Holy Spirit will speak of Jesus and reveal Christ to his followers. Back in chapter 16, in verse 14, he says, He, that is the Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So this whole strand here in verse 14, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There's, you see here kind of this chain. There's this pathway, divine revelation, if you will, about Jesus follows a pathway from the mind of God the Father to the mouth of Jesus Christ his Son through the presence of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and into our hearts and lives. Comes from the mind of God to Jesus to the Spirit and then the Spirit imparts it to us because he lives inside us. And the grand topic of all this revelation, all this revealing of the Holy Spirit is the glory of Jesus Christ. When he says, he will glorify me, he will bear witness of me. Jesus is the theme of the heavenly song. Jesus is the hero of the story that God is writing across human history. Jesus is the centerpiece of the biblical witness. And it is Jesus of whom the Holy Spirit speaks and to whom he points the world and the church. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is gloriously, unapologetically Jesus-centered. The Holy Spirit is not waving his hand and going, hey, look at me. The Holy Spirit is pointing to Jesus Christ and saying, behold his glory. To quote Packer again from Keep in Step with the Spirit, he says, I remember walking to a church one winter evening to preach on the words, he shall glorify me, this very text in 1614. And seeing the building floodlit as I turned a corner and realizing this was exactly the illustration my message needed. When floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are so placed that you do not see them. You are not, in fact, supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you are meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into relief 
so that you see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. That is what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is all about. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm afraid that much of what passes for the work of the Holy Spirit in our day has very little to do with Jesus Christ. We often attribute thoughts, ideas, words, or actions to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led me to do this, to say that. When if we pressed even slightly into the matter, we might find that the thoughts or actions in question glorified not Jesus, but ourselves. I think that is too often the case. So we need to remember that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is unapologetically Jesus-centered. So he tells his disciples, I've got more to teach you, but the Holy Spirit will take care of it. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you all that you need to know about me and my mind and heart. Now in one sense, I think these words are a specific promise to these 11 disciples regarding their role in writing the historical accounts and doctrinal instruction that would become the New Testament that we're reading right now. Because remember, when Jesus said these words to the apostles, they didn't have the Gospel of John yet. John was just hearing those words for the first time, hadn't yet written it down. So I think in one sense, Jesus is telling these disciples, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth. And in fact, he said back in verse 26, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 26, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And I think, again, Jesus has in mind there that he's going to be leading these men to write down for the benefit of Christians in that day and all days forward, including us in 2018 in Perry Hall, Maryland, the things that Jesus has said and taught. And he's saying to them, the Holy Spirit will help you. In that the Holy Spirit will remind you and guide you as you write down these thoughts and teachings and happenings and speeches and miracles. All these things concerning Jesus and his kingdom. But more broadly, I think this, this promise applies to all believers. When he says that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, I think there is a word for all of us there. It's very similar to what he says in Romans 8, 14, and also in Galatians 5, 18, about being led by the Spirit. Again, the Spirit of God lives inside us, and he knows the mind of God. He has all that that the Father and the Son have imparted to him, and so he leads us in those ways. He guides us in the truth. And so it's right to speak of being led by the Holy Spirit. And it is a precious ministry of the Spirit to us. And just as in the, the eye and, or the ears of these disciples who were distressed about Jesus leaving and the hardship that was going to come to them, I'm sure that the promise of the Holy Spirit, though they didn't fully understand it at this point, as they reflected on it, as they came to remember it, and certainly as they experienced it, you read Acts chapter 2, that's where this happens for the very first time. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells the people of God, the followers of Jesus, and they begin to speak and perform acts of power and ministry around the world. I know that they were comforted 
that they were encouraged in the right sense of that word, taking courage from these words of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would be in them and he would teach them and he would, through their witness, be convicting the world and doing the work of Jesus, if you will, in the world. Lindsay shared with me the story of a mom uh, of, a, of an infant uh, who was caught in a tornado. And somehow in the midst, she was trying to get her child out of the car, her car seat out of the car to try to take shelter. And it was too late. Like she got caught and couldn't get the seat out of the car. And so her arms were kind of awkwardly wrapped around the car seat when the car went airborne. This tornado picked up the car and began flinging it around. And so she just, for dear life, clung on to this car seat, not letting this baby go. And somehow, by God's miraculous providence, they were saved. Car flinging around and all this stuff. And they ended up okay. And so she's, you know, the the storm passes and there she is, arms around this child in the car seat, still safe. And I think in a way, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit in the midst of the storm and the chaos and the, and the persecution and the suffering and the craziness and I don't know how I'm going to face this week. I don't know how I'm going to face this mountain. I don't know how I'm going to face this challenge on my own. <laughs> the Holy Spirit says, you're not, you're not alone. My arms are around you. I'm with you. I'm in you. I'm empowering you. I'm strengthening you for the journey ahead. So Christian, take heart. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And He, through your witness, convicts the world of sin. And He will teach your own heart about the glory of Jesus. If you look at your life and examine your heart and you think, I don't know that I have the Holy Spirit living inside me. I don't know if I would say that I'm led by the Spirit of God. It may be that you've never really given your life over to Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never really come to Him in faith and recognized your own sin and self-righteousness and said, you know what? I need a Savior. And Jesus Christ, through His death and resurrection, did all that was necessary for me to be brought near to God. And so I just want to put my faith in Him, repent of my sins and invite His forgiveness. If you've never done that, it's not too late. You have an opportunity to do that. I would love to talk with you after the service. Any one of our church members would love to talk with you. So if that is something that you feel pressing on your heart, that's the Holy Spirit convicting. That's exactly what we're talking about right now. If you feel the Holy Spirit speaking in that way, don't ignore it. Don't brush it aside. Come and speak to us at the end.